Welcome to the You Can Have It All podcast to create a successful business and a thriving family. I am your host, Mona Tavastili from Mompreneurs Worldwide. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of You Can Have It All. Today, we're talking about one of the most important topics when it comes to running your own business, bookkeeping and accounting. I know a lot of entrepreneurs, especially the creative ones who neglect their numbers and find it a scary zone to enter. Well, we are here to change that. My guest today, Ian Price Murphy, is a business coach and certified profit-first professional. She founded Moxie Bookkeeping and Coaching in 2003 to make small business bookkeeping easy and useful, even to those who don't think of themselves as good with numbers. So you're in great hands today and be ready to learn tons. Welcome to the show, Ian. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Can we start by talking about the importance of knowing our numbers and tracking them as entrepreneurs? Yes. And I just want to start with that sort of thing that you already touched on, which is a lot of people don't love doing their bookkeeping. And I feel like the underlying issue there is is not that they don't know that it's important, or, or maybe they don't, but it doesn't feel relevant. It doesn't feel useful. And so I try to transform the bookkeeping from being a hassle at the end of the day or the week or sometimes the year into something that you want to get done because you want that data to be able to help inform the decisions that you're making to help guide you to the best possible destination in the shortest amount of time. There are many questions when it comes to bookkeeping. One of the main things that I see happen amongst business owners, especially startups, is that they don't pay themselves, which makes sense at the beginning because they are not making a lot of money. So can you please tell us how much entrepreneurs need to pay themselves as a business owner and the transition from recording it in the books only till they can actually pay themselves? Yeah, that's a hard one for me. I mean, I think, you know, and I know that it takes funds to get something started, but I am a big proponent, a big fan of paying yourself from day one. And um, part of the reason for that is you don't actually know if you have a sustainable and viable business, if you're hiding the expense of all of the work that you're doing. So your company may look profitable, but if you aren't being paid fairly, especially if you're doing the jobs of two, three, four people, then you're never going to be able to transition out of that. And so I think that even if you are self-funded and you know that you've got $10,000 to put in to get this business started, it's a great idea to know ahead of time how long does this money have to last and to at least be paying yourself 1% of that each month. And so just so that that habit is built in, um, and again, that just gets back to this profit for a system that I love so much because it it tells you what you can afford based on percentages. So it changes a little bit on the size of your business. Um, but I fully believe that every business from day one needs to be setting something aside for profit and something aside to pay the owner. A lot of entrepreneurs come from a corporate background. So can they compare the salary that they get at corporates, for example, uh, to the salary that they pay themselves in their own business? Um, if you can afford it, great, yes. <laughs> but uh, there are very few small businesses that start at being able to pay somebody at the corporate level right away. I mean, that's um, one of the trade-offs. It doesn't mean that you can't. I've seen small business owners who've been able to pay themselves better than what they got paid at corporate. 
So it's about trying to find a reasonable salary and, you know, some of what makes it quote unquote reasonable isn't how much does the market think I should be paid, but how much do I need to take home in order to sustain the lifestyle that I have currently and achieve the one that I want. And that's the way that you should aim towards paying yourself. And do you recommend, let's say, having an X figure um, as your own salary, which is the ideal situation, maybe not as much as the corporates pay at the beginning, but having an X number and then taking maybe half of it as cash and half of it as like an investment equity, um, investing it back in your business. Is this a practice that you would recommend? If you are investing it back into your business, you are not paying yourself. So I think that's one of the places that a lot of businesses um, take a wrong turn is they go, oh, look, I have, you know, $1,000 in profit for the month. I'm going to reinvest that in the business. Well, now you have zero profit because you've just created expenses to go with that. So the profit isn't counted until everything is done. So the system that I like to use says, you know, if you are earning revenue, um, or even if you're, again, funded by uh, donors, investors, or self-funded, to be able to say, I'm going to just choose to set aside 1% of what I have available this month. So let me back up and use that same example again. I'm going to pretend that I have an investor or am partly self-invested or all self-invested, and I have $120,000 that can last me for the year to get my business up and running. And so what I'll say is, great, I'm going to allow myself $10,000 of expenses each month, and hopefully by the end of 12 months, um, I will be able to fully replace that amount that I'm using with earned income. So if we say that I've got $10,000, again, I would strongly suggest setting aside 1% for profit and 1% for owner's pay and keep that there. That's for you to take home and for you to begin to build some uh, savings for your business in case you get to the end of the 12 months and aren't quite there yet. So that's the habit that I think is important to build because if we constantly reinvest, 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 we aren't actually prioritizing the sustainability of our business. Now, there's an, a, a, an exception to that, which is if you are building something very fast just to sell it, then you may choose to you know, be all in on it as much as you can, grow it as large and fast as possible with the known risk that this is not supposed to be a sustainable business. It's supposed to be a business that sells. But even then, your investors and your potential buyers are going to want to see proof of concept. And that proof is always profitability. Exactly. And one of the things that... Um will happen is that I remember during one of our entrepreneurship courses, one of the ladies who attended the course, she priced her product, let's say at $20. And then when we did all the uh, financials, etc., she had to actually 10x that price in order to cover all the expenses that she didn't even think about. Mm -hmm. So paying yourself um, definitely makes a huge difference when we're pricing our products as well. And thank you so much for mentioning that. What's the balance between spending money to grow and having enough cash in your business? I think spending money to grow has to come from the amount of money that you have in your business. And so it's always a good idea to be able to set aside, I mean, 1% is sort of the minimum amount for profit. 
a perfect profit amount would be 20%. That is like cream of the crop. If you can get more, great, but more than 20% is very hard to achieve. I would say, you know, 10 is a good start number to aim for. Um, you know, if you're if you're earning less than $250,000 a year, even that might be a little high. So start where you can, but know that the point is to grow the profit, right? Because profit is sustainability. It's um, stability. It's, you know, covers all of the things that need to happen to help you grow. So you may choose to keep your profit a little bit lower, closer to around 10%, so that you have the additional cash to grow. But if you grow too fast and stress your cash, I mean, cash flow is, I think the U.S., number on that is 82% of small businesses fail in the first five years because of cash flow. Not because they're not selling or earning, but because they're not able to collect as fast as they're spending. And a lot of times that is, you know, a bad collection cycle if you're doing in invoicing, not getting cash on at the moment. But a lot of that is just growing too fast and saying, well, we've got to get a bigger officer. We've got to do this without saying we actually don't have the proof in the form of profit to know that we can afford this yet. So one of the tricks that I suggest a lot of people try is if you're in the earlier stages and you know it's time to hire an assistant or a VA or an office manager, but you're not totally sure if you can afford it, to start setting aside what you would have to pay someone, $2,000 a month or whatever you feel like is reasonable, into a separate savings account. So you can test, can I actually afford this cash before you've made the commitment? And now you have a little bit of a cushion. So if your first hire doesn't work out, which is an unfortunate possibility, you aren't stuck at less than zero and already um, you know, behind on what you wanted because you've had this cushion there. We're going to talk about Profit First, which I believe is one of the most read books. It's actually in our book club at, um, in our Mompreneurs Tribe membership. We are reading Profit First together with our Mompreneurs. And we're going to talk about that in details as well. Um, but before that, can you tell us which accounting software do you recommend for small businesses? We in our firm only use Xero Online, which is spelled X-E-R-O, or QuickBooks Online. There are other software out there. I know a lot of my creative professionals love FreshBooks. Um, there are people who like Wave apps because it's free. And what I would say is that those alternative softwares are almost always designed more as a customer relationship management software that has some invoicing and expense components to it rather than real bookkeeping software. And the difference is what's called double entry accounting. And all that means is the money has to come from somewhere and go to somewhere, and those have to balance. So single entry accounting would be something like making an Excel list. So you're still tracking what's happening, but there it doesn't require you to prove out, well, if you took $10 out of this bank account, where does that $10 show up as having been spent or vice versa? So I always recommend if you plan on scaling to... Um, you know, buy one of the less expensive levels of, of online software, but it just allows for collaboration and it's easier to invite your accountant in and it's easier to invite a bookkeeper in to help you. Do you believe that um, whether Zero or QuickBooks, are they simple enough for entrepreneurs to do it on their own? Or do you recommend that they hire a bookkeeper? 
I think it's absolutely simple enough to do on your own. I, I talk a lot about bookkeeping and even numbers and finance, like learning to drive a car. You know, it seems very scary. I remember when I first learned to drive a car, I had this feeling of like, if I push the wrong button or turn the wrong, the wrong lever, that the whole car is going to explode and you know, kill because <laughs> I'm in this giant metal machine and that's just not true. And so when you get used to, oh, that's the turn signal and that's the washer and that's the, you know, the buttons and the levers and the pedals, you know, very quickly you get to the place where you're weaving in and out of traffic, the radio's on, you know, the, the comfort level happens very quickly. And, and I think that's true with bookkeeping as well. So I would say get some help getting set up correctly so that you know what all the knobs and levers do. But from there on out, until you are ready to say, I have a system to delegate this, and I'm delegating from a place of power, not a place of um, insecurity or worry, I just can't deal with this. That's, that's not a great place to delegate from, because how do you know if your bookkeeper is doing an okay job if you don't understand anything about what she's doing? So I think it's great to get set up on a system to make sure that the foundation is strong. And then you can be your own bookkeeper for almost all of it. It's just saying, again, where did the money come from? Where did it go? And does the organization like Moxie Bookkeeping, uh, do you do the same thing? Do you help them to set it up and help, help entrepreneurs with their bookkeeping? The, do they have to hire somebody locally? So tell us, like when someone is hiring a bookkeeper, what should they look for and when should they actually hire one? Yeah, I think the right time to hire is when you're feeling the pinch, you're feeling like you're overwhelmed, there's too much to do, it's hard to keep on top of it. And I actually think the best first hire is an assistant who can help you with all of the things, because usually what that overwhelm is, is um, just needing a little bit of assistance everywhere and some help organizing. So whether it's a local person to come in and help you, if that's your preference, or a virtual assistant. Many of them know a little bit about bookkeeping and can then work with someone who really deeply understands bookkeeping um, to make sure that things are done right. So the services that we offer at our businesses, we, we will do the data entry for you, but we're not priced as data entry people. So, you know, and partly that's because, you know, we are experts. <laughs> and so you're going to end up paying our expert rate. So I always try to help people get set up strongly and then trained, whether it's them or their staff, so that they know how to do the basics. And then if something comes up, we're there to help. Um, many of our clients have a monthly relationship with us where we actually do the double checking. So we'll compare what has been entered into the software against the bank statements and make sure that we don't see anything that looks funny. And then we'll go over the reports with the business owner um, or, and or their assistant to say, this is what we came up with. Does this feel right to you? Or do you have questions? because I really strongly believe in empowerment through education. So again, as the business owner, as the entrepreneur, as the CEO, you should not be doing the data entry once you can afford not to, but you do need to be in charge of it and making sure that the results are what you expected, because that's the information you're going to be basing all of your other decisions off of. Did we get a return on investment on that marketing plan? You know, are our contractors producing um, in a way that allows us to make a profit on them? You know, and, and what are our current margins? And as things fluctuate in the world, you know, like a global pandemic, how do we pivot and still stay profitable, which 
you know, is a challenge, but as many, many people are rising to meet that challenge. So when it comes to bookkeeping, let's say your firm, do you only work with companies who are based in the U.S. because of the tax and other um, uh, legal matters? Or is it okay for entrepreneurs to work with bookkeepers who are not necessarily in the same country or following the same tax system? I think it's important to have a tax accountant that knows your laws. Um, And that to me is the difference between what a bookkeeper does and what an accountant does, because some bookkeepers do accounting, some accountants do bookkeeping. So the difference for me is who's in charge of the management of the day-to-day information and who's in charge of the compliance with the tax law. And so the way that I divide it, at least in my business, is we do everything up until the compliance. So we have a few international clients. You know, we can certainly help most of the way. But even with our U.S. clients, there's questions about, well, you know, do you need to be collecting sales tax or not? That's not a question I can answer. That's a compliance question. So you should have a tax professional who you can ask those sorts of questions about you know, what does my bookkeeper need to know in order to support me the best? But when it comes to just the management of the day-to-day, um, most of that is very, very similar across all country lines. You know, there'll be things like VAT that as an American, I don't know that much about, but I understand the concept and I know the questions to ask and who to direct you to to get that question answered. That was actually one of my main questions that uh, what is the difference between a bookkeeper and an accountant? So um, these two are two different roles, right? And you can have two different companies and do your bookkeeper and accountant work together or are you as as a business owner, are you the middle person who talks to each of them uh, separately? I love to think of us as a team. So I prefer to be in contact with the accountant, but I always loop the business owner in, mostly because the things that I'm asking for from the accountant are things like the adjusted trial balance or the schedule of receivables. And I don't expect those terms to make any sense to you. I mean, if you know what they are, great. But I don't want to waste your time playing telephone, you know, hey, can you ask your accountant for XYZ? You know, I often will say, here's the things you can ask your accountant. If you want, Make the introduction. I will write them those questions and I'll just make sure to CC you so you can see what's, what we're discussing. Um, because again, you know, business owners are so busy and you have so much to do and you wear so many hats that the idea of putting you in a place where you would be the bottleneck just seems very counterproductive. So I want to do as much as I can to support you not having to be in the middle of everything and be able to go back to focus on doing what you love and having that impact in the world that you started your business to have. So let's summarize it in, in, with this question, that what bookkeeping task do you think that entrepreneurs should do themselves, whether that's just an Excel to start with, or mm-hmm. internally, and what should they outsource? I think that in the beginning, when money is tight, business owners should be doing all of their own data entry. So you should be entering in to whatever system you're using, even if it's pen and paper, here's what I earned today, here's what I spent today, here's what's left over in my bank account. And then that should always be reviewed by a tax accountant. You don't want to be in business one day without a tax accountant on your team. 
but the bookkeeper can wait until you say, you know, this isn't working for me anymore, or I don't have time to do this. And then you can, again, either hire an assistant to sort of help with all of the organization. Um, And again, a lot of accounts offices have some bookkeeper in it. But the only thing that I would caution there is because the focus of an accountant is different than the focus of a bookkeeper, again, compliance versus management, that um, accounting firms tend to be fine working in generalities. Oh, don't worry, we'll just put in an adjusting journal entry and fix it. Whereas a bookkeeper is far more likely to say, well, why is that wrong? What happened? You know, what's what in the system is broken? Let's fix this transaction and make sure it doesn't happen again going forward. So, but um, as we all know, numbers people tend to be very, uh, what I call task focused instead of people focused. And this is where I think my sweet spot is, is you may have a bookkeeper who's very good at data entry and numbers and schedules and reports, but she doesn't really like to explain to you why the report is that way, or she just doesn't have that experience to be able to say to you and explain why the profit on your report is not the same as the cash in your bank. And that's not your accountant's job either. And so I sort of live in the area between the everybody where I have the additional skills, um, A, because I am a small business owner myself and always have been, but also just because I, you know, I work with creative types and I have a lot of those people. And so I will use very plain English to say, here's what your bookkeeper is saying. Here's what your accountant needs. Here's what that sounds like in, uh, in words that you can understand and process. Um, and so that's really where the advising that I does gets the most um, relief from the people that I work with. That's awesome. That's very much needed. Um, yeah, let's talk about the three main financial statements, the P&L, profit and loss or income statement, cash flow statement and balance sheet. So some of these names are even scary to entrepreneurs. Uh, can you tell us at the beginning when they're doing the data entry, what are the things that they should really absolutely be very careful and mindful of? And what are the things that they can wait, maybe the balance sheet, for example, until they hire a bookkeeper? So tell us what are the must have things that they need to do from the beginning? So all of those are based off of a list called the chart of accounts. And that just means the list of categories. So the chart of accounts is the definitive list of all of the ways that your money can do things, the way that you earn it as income, the way that you spend it as expenses, the way that it hangs around in your bank accounts, or the way that it moves around between accounts like you're checking to your credit card or you're checking to your savings. So if your money does it and you want to track it, it needs to be on your chart of accounts. And the chart of accounts is split into two different areas. Um, If you have QuickBooks and you look at your chart of accounts or zero as well, the ones that have the balances showing on them, those are the accounts that make up your balance sheet. And the balance sheet is just a snapshot in time of how much money you have or owe or are owed, um, and all of the little balance-like things as of a specific date. So you would say, well, how much is in my checking account today? And that number in your software should hopefully very closely match to what your bank says. Everything else on there, income, uh, cost of goods sold, expenses, 
are part of your profit and loss, which is money earned and money spent during a given period. So you would be looking at how much have I spent on office supplies so far this year? How much have I earned in consulting fees last quarter? So that's the difference there. And then the cash flow um, report, which I actually don't think is very useful for business owners at all, shows where the money moved. And Mm -hmm. so it's just a little bit hard to read. Um, And again, as you guys explore profit first, what you'll see is you can actually replace the cash flow report by dividing your money up and giving every dollar a job and every dollar a home. Your bank account becomes your cash flow sheet and becomes your budget. And it just simplifies everything in a very beautiful way. A lot of entrepreneurs neglect their numbers just because um, it's an unknown zone. Like we just don't know about it and it just becomes a scary zone for them. So to start with, do you recommend that they work with with an organization like yourself? So with a bookkeeper to just set up everything. I believe that that's not uh, sometimes they see it as an unnecessary expense. They feel that they can spend it in branding and website and marketing. But I would say that it's a, it's, a, it's a necessity at the beginning to work with a bookkeeper, to have their chart of accounts, to have the initial setup ready and have a very short training maybe in a way that they can do it themselves or have a VA to do it so they can save there and um, just get it started from day one. Is this, is this something that you would recommend to entrepreneurs in terms of like the steps to get to to make sure that they have a setup ready. I definitely would recommend that you work with a professional to get you set up correctly. And um, again, you know, not all bookkeepers will do that. A lot of bookkeepers just want to sort of take it, you know, or, or want you to use a default. So it's important to find someone that has some advisory capabilities. Um, but of course, I'm biased. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm a bookkeeper. And what I see, the reason that I think it's so important is because the people that come to me two years in and say, I just, I think I've made a mess. I don't know what's happening. Nothing makes any sense. So they've just wasted two years of effort banging their head against the wall, feeling like they're bad at this, not understanding it, maybe having some imposter syndrome around, I'm not really a business owner. I just am good at what I do. And uh, I mean, personally, I think that's worth, um, you know, a few hundred dollars to get to set up right the first way. Again, if we go back to teaching yourself how to drive, imagine trying to figure out the car on your own and figure out traffic and what all the signs are saying on your own. You could do it. You can research that. All of that information is available. But how long would it take you to feel comfortable and confident without, you know, knowing exactly how to do it without stalling the car. That's why we have driver's ed. So that's what, you know, I'm bookkeeper's ed. That's what I do. Uh, And I come from an education background. So I, you know, I'm never going to make you feel bad about not knowing it. I get it. None of us were ever taught this. And so I think it's doing yourself a great disservice not to get that information right up front because then you can manage it on your own. And you know what to look for and you know when to reach out and get help if things start to go sideways. And based on personal experience, we always um, teach from our own mistakes, is that you end up paying more. So when you neglect it for some time and you try to do everything on your own and then you, you, 
hire an accountant or bookkeeper, you realize that you have to actually go back and clean the mess, which actually takes more time and you end up paying more. So absolutely, I agree with you that it's better to do it from day one in, in a proper system and then just follow that system from the beginning. Before we talk about the profit first, I have one more question, which is the difference between Zero and QuickBooks. Mm-hmm. I know each of them, they have their own fans. <laughs> we are using QuickBooks, but I know a lot of accounting firms, they love Zero as well. So tell us like which one would you recommend and what are the differences? So I'm actually going to start with the differences because what I recommend depends on the needs of the client. So, um, or, or honestly, what your accountant prefers, because if you, it doesn't matter how much I love zero. If your accountant doesn't want to work with the reports from zero, or they want to be able to use the software and they don't want to have to learn zero, then it doesn't matter. Then, you know, then my preference is irrelevant because my job is to make your business easier. And part of that is making your accountant happy. So I like zero because I think it's cleaner. I think it's a more beautiful interface. Um, I think they're a younger, fresher and more innovative company. They are the QuickBooks of New Zealand. They come from New Zealand. That's where they started. And Mm. they are the industry standard down there. Um, I also think they work better for the international market because they're more flexible with the sales tax and VAT so that You can um, calculate sales tax on your purchases, not just on your sales, so that you can calculate what credit you're owed back. Um, And it works really well with a lot of third-party softwares. Now, QuickBooks has caught up significantly in the last few years. Um, Anyone that was using QuickBooks online 10 years ago knows that it was a terrible product. It was a terrible product. And they were releasing a new quote-unquote version each year, but it was the same thing, just in a new box. And it wasn't until Zero came to the U.S. and forced into it to be innovative that they made the updates to QuickBooks Online, and almost every single one of them were taken directly from Zero. So mm. there's that. Um, I like. I just like Zero better as a company for that. I like their interface better. Their software is a little bit less expensive. Um, And, you know, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but Intuit, the company, is one of the major lobbying forces in the U.S. that is trying to block the ability to file your taxes for free online as an individual. That doesn't Mm -hmm. have to do with business. But to me, that feels a little... um, double dealing. You know, they're shaking my hand with one arm and pinching me with the other. So, so it's, it just doesn't make me, I just don't love them, but, but they do have a product that has been around for decades that is well tested and is the industry standard. So I would check in with your accountant to see if they have a preference. And then if your accountant doesn't have a preference, see which one you like better. Do you, you know, do you respond better to one or the other, or do you feel more comfortable if you've been using QuickBooks already? I wouldn't ask you to change um, unless you were like, I don't like it and I'm looking for something new. And Ian, you know, you touched on something very important is the values of the company. It's a company, I mean, we can talk hours about that. (laughs) We don't have time for that, but it's so interesting for me because like for me, our accountant prefers um, QuickBooks and that's what we're using. And I was always, I personally think I like Zero a little more because it connects with Stripe, I believe, Mm -hmm. which QuickBooks doesn't and it gives us, always gives us a headache. 
But now that you talk about the values of the company, like I want to work with zero, which is so interesting. Like you become aware of the decisions that you make based on the values and the why of each company as well and how they treat their customers. That was a, that was a great example. Okay, so let, let's talk about Profit First now. You are also a certified uh, Profit First professional. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit more about the concept? We talked about it, but just tell us a little bit of what does even Profit First mean, the yeah. concept? So I always start by saying Profit First does not mean profit at any cost. It does not mean, you know, make whatever deal you have to to get ahead in life. What it means is that because profit is the lifeblood of your organization and because profit is what allows your business to support you rather than you supporting your business only, profit represents stability, growth, owner's pay, preparation, um, security, all of these things. And so it's very important to recognize that, um, that, that even if you are running a heart-based business and you're doing what you love, if you don't understand the money stuff, you are actually holding back your own impact. Because think of the good that you're doing. Think of the beauty that you're creating. And if you were earning more and had more left over, wouldn't you do more? Wouldn't you make things even better, even more beautiful, even more just? So that's where I come from. It's not about hoarding cash like a dragon. It's about using money as the tool that it is to get you the things you want out of life for you, for your family, for your community and the world. So the concept of it is very simple. It's um, a lot of times what I call grandma's envelope system. And I do that Mm. because my grandmother and many other people's grandmothers back when, you know, before credit cards were a thing, would get the cash that she had available for the week. And she would divide it up into her different paper envelopes. A little would go into the, you know, annual present fund for birthdays and holidays. A little would go into the groceries envelope, a little would go into the savings, a little would go into, you know, running the household, etc, all of the other expenses that she had. And then when she would go to the grocery store, she would take the envelope with her, and whatever was in there, she could spend. And Mm -hmm. so it just became very easy to never overspend, because if she only had a $10 bill in there, she was going to buy whatever she could for $10. And if she had $30 in there, maybe it would be time to buy a a little extra something nice and have a special dinner. Um, And so it's just a a very easy way to put some guardrails around your money to protect it for the purpose that you intended it to have. And that way, if you are overspending, you know it immediately because you're reaching into a different envelope or in the modern case, a different bank account. I actually use it in my personal life as well. And I use it um, to not make sure that I'm not only overspending, I make sure that I use it so that I'm not underspending. And I specifically have a prepaid visa that I I call my self-care card. And I have a little bit of my paycheck deposited to that each time. So that if I look at that balance and it gets too high, I know that I have not taken a, an exercise class in a while because that would have cost me a little bit of money or maybe it's time to go get my hair done or go out to brunch with my friends or whatever it is so that it just reminds me like it's a visual reminder of 
have you taken time out for yourself, you know, to, to really refresh um, so that it, it, it's a guardrail in both directions for me. I love that. I absolutely love that because we always look at money a lot of times from that scarcity or there's not enough money or I need to save for emergency. I love the fact that you have one specifically for self-care. Yeah. That seems definitely, um, it's, it's something amazing that um, I think I will start doing as well. <laughs> I recommend it. And I say Ian mentioned it. I need to have a separate bank account <laughs> only for, for taking care of myself. I love exactly. that. And you do have a um, free guide, which uh, I believe it's absolutely amazing. So uh, tell us a little bit more about that so our audience can download it and we'll have the link in the show notes as well. But tell us more about your the free guide that you have that uh, people can download. Yeah, so it's just, a, uh, I think it's about four pages long. It's a PDF about, you know, what are the simple principles of Profit First to help manage your cash and um, keep more of what you earn. And it comes down to exactly that. Give every dollar a job give every dollar a home, you know, separate it out so you can see by the balance how much you have left. Because as you said, you know, some people do have this scarcity mentality and they worry about running out of money because it's all blended together. And so you never know that you have enough if you're not sure what the purpose is. So just separating things out um, and putting, you know, the, the things that are to be for emergency savings out of sight in a different bank account, maybe even. So when you log in to do your daily banking, you don't see that money available. Um, and it just has some FAQs on there. But of course, if you have other questions, you are always welcome to contact me. That's amazing. Uh, you do have a Facebook group as well. So we will add all of these um, in the show notes for those who want to join a Facebook group. I believe the main thing for me, there are two, usually two groups of people. There are the creative marketing advertising, which is where I come from, mm -hmm. and there are people who are really good with numbers. So I had to really force myself, and there was resistance when it came to accounting and, and understanding the numbers, and I see that resistance amongst a lot of entrepreneurs. And for me, the turning point was when you become friends with your numbers, it's not something that you have to do. It's it, you become it becomes enjoyable. You start enjoying it, and uh, there's a saying that energy flows where attention goes. Where you mm. put your attention, when you have um, a system in place, I think it, that makes a lot of things easier. I use the trick of what I call money dates. I ask everyone to make a weekly money date with themselves, and I use that word specifically because I want it to be fun. So I, when you have to sit down and do that horrible task of bookkeeping, if that's how you feel about it make sure that it's in the nicest possible surroundings. So at a time of day when you have the energy to do it, light your favorite candle, put on your favorite music, pour yourself a nice hot cup of your favorite tea and set an alarm for only 30 minutes. And if you're not done after 30 minutes, it doesn't matter, you'll do it again next week. And so try to just make it small and pleasant and that can help take some of the sting out of it. Ian, this was really enjoyable. I personally enjoyed it. I learned tons and I'm sure that our audience have uh, learned a lot as well. Um, thank you so much. Any final words for our audience and tell us where can they learn more about you and get in touch with you? Yep. So it just remember, it's just a skill to be learned. It's just practice. Get a buddy. Having someone to help you out really helps if you pay them or not. You know, if you just have someone to help hold you accountable or hold your hand while you go through this. Um, you can find me online, www.moxiebookkeeping.com, which is M-O-X-I-E-B-O-O-K-K-E-E-P-I-N-G.com. You can download the resource there. We're on Facebook. We have a page. Um, we have a Facebook group.
group called Profit First for Creatives, and we have a Profit First learning group program called Abundantly Clear. Thank you so much, Jan. We will add all the links in the show notes. And um, I really appreciate your time and sharing your expertise with our community. Thanks Thank again so and bye, everyone.